Welcome to Letter to Philippi Live, our first broadcast of 2022. And uh, we are getting started here. And with a new year, we have a new time going through Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 today, as we begin our uh, new year with a new study in Paul's letter to Philippians. This is Letter to Philippi Live, an initiative of Letter to Philippi, a new Messian Jewish theological teaching organization, of which I'm the founder. My name is Sean Imsley, and I'm the founder of Letter to Philippi and the teacher of this class. So this is the beginning of our, our new study through Paul's letter to the Philippians, also known as the letter to Philippi, Philippi being a, a city in modern-day Greece that Paul brought the message of the Messiah Yeshua to in around the the middle of the first century of the Common Era, and uh, sent this letter to them around 62 of the Common Era in the in the years he was imprisoned in Rome before his execution. So today we'll be looking at the introduction of the chapter and the first verse as Paul sends this letter to this community he cares so much about, and with his, his execution pending, these are basically his final words, his final message to this community that he cares so much about. So we begin with the word of prayer, and we'll go into our study for today. O oh Lord, you are good. We thank you and bless you for each new day you've given us. And now you've given us a new year, Lord, too. A new year of the, of the civil calendar to serve you and to learn to become more and more in the Messiah each day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your holy scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for our Messiah, who is our life. And in the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. So, welcome, everyone. For those who are new with us in our study, we're beginning the study of the book of Philippians anew. So, so you can join right in now as we start with Philippians 1.1 and look at the Paul's letter to the Philippians, which my good friend... Uh, Good friend uh, Dewey Bertolini calls the, the little, the important little letter that Paul wrote to Philippi, and this is an important letter. That in this in this chapter in this book written to the people in Philippi, we'll see Paul teaching about the importance of modeling the Messiah's humility and self-sacrifice, and we will see the examples of humility throughout. And we'll see in the, in the second chapter in the Messianic hymn, we'll see a bold declaration early in the first century among Jewish followers of Yeshua declaring that Yeshua from Nazareth, Yeshua from Nazareth, was and is the, the coming of the one God of Israel into our lives, that he is the Messiah of Israel, he is the divine Messiah who came into our world left his place in the heavenlies, left his place of authority in heaven, be born as a baby into our world, to live a life of humility, and die the death of the Roman cross for our atonement. And, and soon we'll see, as the, as the hymn ends, we see the, the future glorification of Yeshua and honoring by all creation, both, both seen and unseen, earthly and heavenly, and on the underworld, all creation, acknowledging Yeshua the Messiah as Adonai. 
So we'll begin with our introduction, introduction to the chapter, and then we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 today. Paul's basically his address label to the letter. In chapter 1, Paul begins his letter to the Philippians sharing his deep love for this Messianic community. There's a deep bond between the people in Philippi and Paul, which was built up over there. They're working together for the, for the Messiah. It's because of their, their bond that has been established through, through looking to model the Messiah that, that Paul can speak so tenderly to them and so deeply in, of their, his love for them and their deep love for him. Love he has for the Philippians is grounded in their love for him and their participation in his work and ministry. Philippi was the first city in Europe, on the European continent, that Paul brought the message of Yeshua, which we see in Acts 16. With this launch into the primary Gentile world, Paul called coming to Philippi the early days of my work spreading the good news when I left Macedonia. We, we see that Paul, as he entered into Macedonia, entered the European continent, which would be, at, as we understand stand the world of that day, would be the uttermost parts of the world. The farthest, the farthest parts of the world would have been the European continent going west. So as we said, seeing the commission that Yeshua gave to the disciples to take the, the good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Paul really understood that in going into Philippi, entering the European content, continent, that he was truly going, following the command of Yeshua to bring the message of Yeshua into the uttermost parts of the world. And therefore, he considers, considers that the beginning of his work of, of bringing the message of the Messiah to the world when he entered into the European continent and entered into the uttermost parts of the world with the message of Yeshua the Messiah for the people of the world. The message of Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah, which is relative to the Jewish people. He is the, the, the Jewish Messiah who opened up the way of God to the non-Jewish nations. One of the most familiar verses of this letter and what I would consider my life verse, the verse that motivates me in my life daily, is in this chapter in Philippians 1.21, where Paul expresses the centrality of Yeshua in his life, where he, said, he says, for me to live is the Messiah, to die is to gain. Paul stressed the centrality of Yeshua, and that his whole life was encountering Yeshua on the road to Damascus, whose execution near Nero was all about knowing Messiah more, and becoming, as he frequently said, to be in Messiah. Paul will further discuss the centrality of Yeshua throughout the letter, this being the first and most direct affirmation of Yeshua being a source of life now and into eternity. So that is a brief introduction to this chapter, and now we will be looking at the uh, commentary for verse 1 of chapter 1, and I'll put that up on the screen for you.
and verse 1 reads, From Shaul and Timothy, slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, to all God's people with the Messiah, all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua, and living in Philippi, along with the congregation leaders and Shamashim. Let me read that again. From Shaul and Timothy, slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, to all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua, and living in Philippi, along with the congregational leaders and Shamashim. So we'll begin with this first phrase, phrase from Shaul and Timothy, slaves of the Messiah Yeshua. From Shaul, the writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul. As I said, this, this first verse is basically the address label for this letter. You figure this is from who is from and who it is to. So Paul here at the beginning, as was common in the letter writing of that day, begins, let, begins who is it from? From Shaul and Timothy. From Shaul, the writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul, also known as Shaul. The complete Jewish Bible uses the name Shaul for all references. The complete Jewish Bible uses, uses the name Shaul for all references to Paul in the Berich HaDashah in the New Testament. Shaul was his Hebrew or synagogue name, and like other Jews of his time, he also adopted a Greco-Roman second name, Paulus, or an English Paul. The second Gentile name was usually chosen based on a similar sound or other relationship to the Hebrew name. A similar naming practice today occurs when Gentiles convert to Judaism or Jews who were not raised religiously when they were, were young adopt a Jewish name related to their birth name. For example, Reuben for Robert or Shoshana for Susan. This is what Paul, Paul did at that time as we see, as, as those who come to Judaism today, they will adopt a Hebrew name similar to their, to their English name. Starting in Acts 13, verse 9, we encounter Paul's two names. Then, Shaul, also known as Paul, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, stared straight at him. From this point forward in Acts, Luke refers to Shaul by his Greco-Roman name, Paul. Also of note is that Paul refers to himself by this name in all of his letters. Throughout this commentary, we will use the name Paul, reflecting his own use and that of, of the other source research materials. This name change from Shaul to Paul in Acts could be understood as marking a shift of focus and field of service from Shaul, the Jewish disciple, to Paul, the apostle Messiah of the whole world. His globally recognized name, Paul, reflects his new global mission. This understanding is in contrast to the teaching that, that he changed his name from Shaul to Paul to demonstrate his rejection of Judaism and his life as a Jew, and being Paul the Christian. Interestingly enough, there, I, I, I'm one to, to always look for biblical, biblical films and biblical documentaries. And I was, I was watching this one on the Apostle Paul, and for the most part, the, 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 the movie itself was, was pretty good throughout as it was showing his, his encounter with Yeshua at the road to Damascus and then his work of bringing the good news of the Messiah to the world. But interestingly enough, right, right at, the, at the 
the very end of the movie, as he was as he was going to to leave leave Antioch to bring the message of the Messiah to the large Jewish world, the the actress said, you know, they said he, he was coming out, and people said, "Oh, look, there's Shoal, there's Shoal," and and the the actor playing playing Paul says, "No, I'm no longer Shoal the Jew." I am Paul the Christian, and they basically ruined the the, the, the whole movie to, for, for whatever good they had in the movie. It's like no, no, that's not what happened. That Paul was not rejecting his Jewish background; he was not rejecting Judaism. He was not becoming becoming Paul the Christian, in contrast to to Shaul the Jew. But he was this name was was a common practice of of the of the of the Roman world, but also. As we said, it could show show the fact that he was using a common name as he was bringing the message to the larger world. As he was moving from the Jewish world into the where Shaul will be a common name into the larger Gentile world, where Paul will be a more familiar name. Paul here was with this name change. We can see that it was a, a matter of his now global mission. He was using a more common name for his global mission bring the message of the Messiah of Israel to the larger world. Timothy and Timothy. This is interesting that, that this letter includes, includes Timothy as the sender, of which, of which Paul's other letters are just from, from Paul. This letter actually includes from, from Timothy. Timothy is one of Paul's most loyal co-workers who joined Paul who was beginning a second journey to the Asia Minor Messianic communities. The purpose of this journey was to share the rulings of the Jerusalem Council, announcing that Gentiles could become members of the Messianic community without first converting to Judaism. Timothy is introduced in Acts 16, 1-4, where we read, Shaul came down to Derbe and went on to Lystra, where there was lived a Talmud named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who had come to trust and a Greek father, all the brothers in Lystra and Iconium, spoke well of Timothy. Shaul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and did a brit malah, a ritual circumcision, because of the Jews living in those areas. For they all knew this father had been a Greek. As they went on through their towns, they delivered to the people the decisions reached by the emissaries and the elders in Jerusalem for them to observe. In this introduction, we see that Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother who had become a believer in Yeshua. And we also learn in 2 Timothy 1.5 that his grandmother Eunice was also a Messianic Jew, making Timothy a third generation Messianic Jew. Though we do not know why Timothy was not circumcised, it appears from, not circumcised at birth, at his, on the eighth day, it appears in the text that his Greek father he objected to having his son circumcised, possibly because of the Greek aesthetic ideal of not desecrating the perfect human form by removing the foreskin. Perhaps, too, his father rejected what circumcision could mean for his son's identity, separation from Gentile society, by being circumcised and having a mark on the flesh to denote inclusion in the people of Israel and distinction from the uncircumcised world. To prevent any confusion over Timothy's status as a Jew or any issues among the Jewish communities and synagogues on their journey, 
that would disrupt their gospel work, Paul circumcised Timothy in Acts 16.3. Paul did not want Timothy's possible, ambiguous Jewish identity to pose a roadblock to the work of sharing their message among the Jewish population of Asia Minor. The fact that Timothy was Jewish and uncircumcised would have caused a stumbling block to the mission of sharing the Jewish Messiah with fellow Jews. Paul demonstrated Timothy's importance to him as a co-worker and disciple by mentioning Timothy in eight of his letters. And Timothy himself also received two of Paul's letters, which we know as 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul may have included Timothy in the greeting portion of the letter to indicate that Timothy functioned as the secretary, who physically wrote the letter as Paul dictated to him. Paul also endorsed Timothy's authority as a leader to the people in Philippi, including him in the opening greeting. We next come to the phrase, slaves of the Messiah, Yeshua. Paul refers to himself and Timothy as slaves of the Messiah. The self-identification is an essential precursor to one of the essential themes of the book, namely that fall of Yeshua were to model Yeshua's humility and willingness to be a slave, a humble servant willing to give their life for the Messianic community. Paul used the Greek word for slave, doulos, to refer to Yeshua later in Philippians 2, verse 7. Given the nature of life in the Roman Empire and a major city such as Philippi, the Philippians would have been familiar with slavery and what it meant in their society to be a slave. In the use of douloi, the plural form of doulos, for slaves, to represent Paul and Timothy, in this introduction, and later refer to Yeshua as a doulos, a slave in the Messianic hymn of chapter 2. Paul is making clear to the Philippians that following Yeshua means that they are to model the life of the Messiah and, and to live in the new life that that entails. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that the word doulos meant that the service offered by the slave is performed out of submission and dependence on the master. This description certainly applies to Paul and Timothy, who were entirely devoted to their master and Lord Yeshua. For Paul, being a slave of the Messiah, Yeshua, was a wholehearted, joyful act of submission to Yeshua as a Lord. Let me say that again. For Paul, being a slave of the Messiah, Yeshua, was a wholehearted, joyful act of submission to Yeshua as his Lord. Being a slave of Messiah was to Paul the realization of true freedom. As we see in Romans 6.22, where we read, However now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you do, not, you do get the benefit. It consists in being made holy, set apart for God, and its end result is eternal life. Paul's enslavement was no longer to sin and death but to Yeshua in life. Both now and eternally, in his slavery to Yeshua, he was truly free from enslavement to sin. Though it was detrimental to call himself a slave in Greek and Roman cultures, Paul here is teaching a lesson to the Philippians on the critical role of being considered a slave of the Messiah, echoing the use of servant as a title of honor for someone chosen for service to the Lord in the Tanakh. In the Tanakh, we have the, have the Hebrew word evid, which is, which is used in speaking about 
Moses, our teacher, and, and Joshua and David are referred to as Evet Hashem, servants of, of the Lord, servants of, of the God of Israel. And Paul here, in using this phrase here, is, is taking from that concept of these, these people, these great, great, great servants of God from the, the Tanakh, as I said, Moshe Rabbeinu, Joshua, David, and others, and, and connecting these ones who are considered Evedishim or slaves of, of the God of Israel in, in the Hebrew Bible, and now, now referring to himself and Timothy as servants of the God of Israel, servants of the Messiah, slaves of the Messiah today, those who are totally devoted to him as Moses, Joshua, and David were in their service to him. Paul makes it clear that he's a slave of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. His devotion to Yeshua is central to his self-identification. It is in finding and submitting himself to the Jewish Messiah that Paul sees meaning in his life. And he states clearly that, he, on, that his only proper response to the encounter with the Messiah is by subjection to him as a slave. His identification as a slave of Yeshua motivated him to model Yeshua and commend the way, same way of life to the Philippians. Let me read those last world words, last two sentences again. Paul here states clearly that his only proper response to his encounter with the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, is in a subjection to him as a slave. His identification as a slave of Yeshua motivated him to model Yeshua and commend the same way of life to the Philippians. Next we come to the phrase, to all God's people, united with the Messiah Yeshua, and living in Philippi. Paul wrote the letter to the people in Philippi, a city was now in the modern country of Greece. It was also the first city in Europe where Paul visited and established a Messianic community. As seen earlier, Philippi had a minimal Jewish population, so Paul was writing to a mostly Gentile Messianic community, though there would have been some Jews and God-fearers who were members of the community. As we see in Acts 16, the first, the first ones to respond to the message were, were God-fearers or convert Judaism, including Lydia and her family. The phrase, all God's people, is rendered all God's holy people in some of the translations. The Greek word, hagios, sometimes translated as the holy ones or saints, is used in the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew word kadosh. Biblical scholar Mark Nianos sees in the phrase, all God's holy people, Paul continuing his connection to his Pharisaic Jewish life, holiness within the life, and his desire for the Philippians to be holy. He also understands that Paul is bringing these Gentiles in Philippi into a life of holiness, walking as a new way of life with them within the context of a life lived in the framework of their Yeshua faith, even as they remain Gentiles. Next we come to the phrase, along with the congregation leaders in Shamashim. Paul makes a point to include in this opening words a greeting about the congregational leaders and Shamashim, the, the elders of the community and the Shamashim. In doing so, Paul is showing that there was an established leadership over the community in Philippi, 
Paul wanted to alert these leaders on their roles and responsibilities to learn from Paul as the overseer for all the Messianic communities and also teach the people under their spiritual care in Philippi to walk in God's ways. The role of elders over a synagogue was similar from Jewish practice. The original 12th Talmudim, the disciples of Yeshua, would have led in the early Messianic community in Jerusalem and would serve as a continuation of the established practice. They were joined by Yaakov, James, the brother of Yeshua, who became the leader of the Jerusalem Messianic community. These elders were to be devoted to the spiritual needs of the community, and to continue this focus, they chose Shamashim, or deacons, dedicated to the physical demands of the Messianic community. Paul in 1 Timothy 3, 1-13, and Titus 1, 6, give a listing of the requirements for those to be elders in Shamashim. We can see in Acts 14.23, from the first missionary journey, that Paul established elders in the communities that he founded. And we read, After appointing elders from them in every congregation, Shaul and Barnaba, Barnabas, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. From this example, we can understand that Paul and Timothy in Philippi, as recorded in Acts 16, would have chosen elders over the community, Messianic community, which they began on their first trip to Philippi on Paul's second journey. In referring to the congregational leaders in the greeting, Paul would be making them aware of his message to the community, especially in Paul's reference to false teachers and false teachings described in chapters 3, 1 through 11. As spiritual leaders in the community, they were to stand for the truth of the gospel and against false teaching like shepherds over a flock. The leaders also be called upon by Paul later in the book to deal with disunity among leaders in Philippians 4.2, which could fracture the whole community. So we see Paul, Paul referencing the, the leadership of, of, of the Messianic community in Philippi as, as he's going to be dealing with issues, or one for them to stand against false teachers in chapter 3, and also to resolve a conflict between leaders in chapter 4. So in his, in basically as I said, his address label to the this letter, he's calling out those in leadership positions, those the the elders and the deacons, the the zakanim and the and the shamashim of the community, to be listening carefully to what he has to say, because there are two specific issues related to the leadership of the community that he was wanting them to to deal with. Also, given the Paul's motivation for writing the letter was to thank the Philippians for their gifts to him. Paul here could be greeting the letters of the community who were responsible for collecting and distributing the contributions of the Philippians to Paul. At which we said, said the Philippian community was unique in that they financially supported Paul's work. So also in referencing the leadership here, he could be thanking them for their responsibility in putting together the financial support for them collecting it from the people, and having it sent to them through Epaphroditus. Though a fully formed congregational leadership structure in the early Messianic communities is understood to be a later development, it appears from this greeting that at least in Philippi, a congregational structure included congregational leaders and Shamashim. Although the structure of Philippi was not a common organizational structure for the Messianic communities until the 2nd century, some commenters have just suggested 
that having this, this ordered structure could have developed earlier in Philippi based on the cultural desire and the official leadership structure of Philippi as a Roman colony, that they would be understood from their society being structured under the Roman structure, that, that even in their new life, in their Messian communities, they established leadership structures, which may have been up before other, other communities to have a formalized leadership structure. From Acts 16 and the letter to the Philippians, we learn of several leaders by name in the Philippian Messian community, including Lydia, Yodia, Syntyche, Syzygus, Clement, and the other fellow workers of Paul. So, they're, they're, so we, know, we know by name those people who are in positions of authority in Philippi. And Paul, in these opening words to the letter, wants to call them out, these people who are in spiritual leadership, to be listening to what he has to say, with him them to stand up for the good news of the Messiah, stand up for the truth that they had heard, and also, as I said in, in Philippians 4, for them to deal with the issue of disagreement between, between uh, Yodia and Syntyche, two women leaders in the community. So in, in this, we see that Paul making clear that the leadership community is listening at, to what he has to say, are aware of it, and, and you're listening to see what to see their responsibility is. So that will conclude our time today as we looked at the first verse the Paul's I said the the uh, the address label the address label to this letter and Paul Paul greeting the Philippians we will actually read that word, verse again just just for the sake of recalling it from Shaul and Timothy slaves of the Messiah Yeshua to all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua and living in Philippi along with the congregational leaders and Shamashim so this is what we looked at today. As I said, the opening words to this, to this letter, the address label to this letter from Paul and Timothy to Philippi. And tomorrow we'll continue on looking at verse 2, which, which uh, reads, Grace to you and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. We'll be looking at that verse tomorrow as we, as we now begin our new daily, Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem Time, I forgot my 2 p.m. Chicago Time, study through Paul's letter to the Philippians, letter to Philippi Live, an initiative of letter to Philippi, a new Messian and Jewish theological organization, and uh, you can find out more information on letter to Philippi at our, uh, at our website, letter to philippi.org. So if you, Want information information about our work? You can go to letterdefilipi.org. We have recordings of previous classes. You can purchase a copy of our Messianic commentary on the Philippians. You can read our our Messianic Jewish book reviews, and we'll be adding two new reviews this month in January. The first one's going to be on the book Besora by Rabbi Doctor Mark Kinzer and Rabbi Russ Resnick, and we'll be adding two new. Messian Jewish book reviews on books by Messian Jewish authors and also books in the larger academic world that are reflective on, on building an understanding of Paul within Judaism, understanding 
Messian Jewish life and how we can use the books from the larger Messian, the larger academic world in building a Messian Jewish theology for the future. So we'll be, as I said, that will be an ongoing work to add, add two new reviews each month. We have one currently up, and as I said, we'll, I'll be working on the, the review of Basora by Kinzer and Resnick over the next, next couple of weeks. And if you want to make a contribution to our work, we're starting a new year, and we would truly appreciate if you could give a financial gift to the work of, of uh, Letter to Philippi. We're a nonprofit organization dependent on those who, who participate in our work to, uh, to give toward our work. And you can make a contribution at settlementlettertophilippi.org. And that will conclude our time for today. And we'll see you tomorrow as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, as we continue our study looking at Paul's letter to Philippi from lettertophilippi.org, a new Messian Jewish theological teaching organization. My name is Sean Inslee. I'm the founder and teacher. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow as we continue our study looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. As we continue in this journey, we become more and more and more in the Messiah. Shalom.